Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Do you believe it's time for another Football by Numbers bonus edition on the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch? Well, we have Jersey number 46, and Oz Davis is our guest, as we're going to pick a top 10 for you greatest players wearing the 46 ever to play in the NFL. Coming up next, this is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff, supplying us with the tunes. Let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome to a bonus edition of the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, where we have our football by numbers series, where we go through every jersey number in NFL history, talk about the most significant players, and we are up to the jersey number 46, and I have some help this evening. We have one of our fellow partners from the Sports History Network. He is the host of the Truly the Goats uh, series podcast and the Sports History Network showcase series that is none other than Oz Davis. Oz Davis, welcome to the pig pen. Thanks. Great to be here again. I yeah. like the numbers, these number ones. They, you, you get some interesting history out of them. Yeah, we get to talk about a lot of different players doing this series. It's really interesting. And we love when we have, uh, you know, people like you come on and help us out because it uh, brings that great vibe uh, to the NFL history that uh, when there's two heads talking about it, it's much better than just one. So we appreciate you being here. (laughs) Uh, So how how have things been going with you? You know, as as I as I explained on the showcase not too long ago, I don't know that one might come out before this one, after this one, I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, uh, this is purgatory. Like time doesn't move. <laughs> you know, it's like right. <laughs> nothing much happens. At least sports is kind of happening. Uh, I, I I wish I kind of wish for the sake of my Lakers that it that it weren't necessarily, but. Uh, sports is happening at very least but other than that man my personal life is just like you know in the winter you're up there in the north you know in the winter when your car gets stuck in the snow and then you try and gun it and then it's just spinning around in a circle above the snow pitifully that's what life has been for like 15 months now right well sadly i don't know because i have four-wheel drive so you need to get four wheel drive and you won't be stuck in there. No, it's, it's coming. No, it's coming. Things are starting to break loose here in the East. Uh, I know it's yeah. getting to be a lot more, more like normal. You know, we're still wearing masks and everything, but uh, capacity numbers are going up. I, I hear that uh, maybe by the end of this month for outdoor sports and uh, concerts, we might be able to be up to 75% capacity. So that's uh, boding well for a football season. That's coming around the corner. Do you think people will go though? 
Do you think people will go? Do you think people will go back to the cinema? Will they go to football games? Will they go to, I don't know, like indoor games like basketball? Will they want to uh, go? Yeah, I, th- I think they'll they'll go to the indoor things. I know yeah. we're 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 kind of depressed here. We have an, an OHL team. Um, you know, actually, uh, Connor McDavid came through Erie on our our hockey team for juniors, wow. and uh, but we our OHL season is uh, because of Canada. You know, Eastern Canada is just a mess right now, and they've already canceled the uh, OHL season for the Ontario Hockey League for this fall already. So they're not wow. having it. No so, kidding. Yeah. So we're kind of oh. not, not very happy about that, but I think a lot of the basketball teams, uh, you know, I know even high school sports, I have uh, my daughters in you know, track and field. They're starting to let fans in. Uh, yesterday we went to a, a track meet where you, if you were, as long as you were with your family and more than six feet away, you didn't have to wear a mask. So these things are starting to loosen up a little bit. Wow. Great. Yeah. So it's coming your way. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> California will be the last. Yeah. You guys are always on the cutting edge over there. So <laughs> yeah, well, this is, yeah, we'll do right now we're on the cutting edge of like not quitting. That, that's our right. Idea. Right. We're, we're going to, we're going to have masks in the 2025. Out here. <laughs> well, Hey, we've got a, a big task here tonight. We have those Jersey number 46s and we have a really an interesting cast of players uh, to choose from. We're going to be talking about some really interesting folks here tonight. Uh, so hope you're up for the challenge. Uh, and the Pro Football Hall of Fame is where we usually start. And they're only giving us one name of a player that wore number 46. It's in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. And that's Lou Groza. Uh, so we have, we have uh, and he wore it for six seasons. He wore the number 46. I don't know if uh, you want to start with Groza and work our oh, way from there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess Groza is the GOAT 46, huh? Um, if you go by, I mean, when, for the show notes of this thing, you know, we just use the very simple AV stat as provided by pro football reference um, and those folks. But this dude is like, what he's something like 70% better than the next guy in the AV stat that wore number 46. So hall of famer um, thing. The thing is he was on nine, all pro teams all in the 1950s. Now this is when, the two-way player is phasing out, right? This is when you're getting specialty player. But through his career, more or less until he hits 40, and he ends up playing until, what, 43? Is it 46? Could it be that late? I think it was 43, 44. And uh, he was a three-way player until his 40s because he played on the offensive line, the defensive line, and on special teams as well. And again, like every game every year for like this whole run when he's making all pro teams so i (laughs) you know impeccable resume oh yes and by the way this is he's a lifetime cleveland brown and the 1950s is the golden age of the cleveland browns right you know i don't mean to like rub it in for the browns fans or anything but this is their golden era. This is when they were beasts, along with the Detroit Lions. Again, apologies right. to the to the history dude and the Detroit Lions fans out there. But um, in other words, you know, he is a stud player on all sides of the ball on a dynasty team. 
Yeah, I mean, think about his career. He started in 1946. 1946, the Browns were in their first year in the AAFC. So he played all four right. years AAFC with the Browns. And he, right. then he played all the way to 1967 when basically the AFL and the NFL were merging you know, right at that point. Right. And we were in the right. Super Bowl era. I mean, that is quite a span of a career and to be with one team and uh, be on a very good team that entire time. That's that's phenomenal. The Browns won all four years of the AFC, did they not? Yes, they did. It, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And they were one of three teams that managed to cross over when the NFL, yeah. I don't know put them out of business more or less. <laughs> You're right, we'll, right. Take the, we'll take the useful markets and the rest <laughs> of y'all can go home now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. he saw, I saw all four AF, AFC championships and four NFL championships. That's yeah. what he won. And I think yeah. the Browns even lost one or two championship yeah. games in there too. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. A lot of so, rings. Yeah, again, Dominant player on a dominant team. I mean, these 50s Browns are a dynastic team. I mean, uh, they were the team in the AFC. So, you know, this is a this is a dominant team uh, at this time. So, yeah, all props to Luke. Yeah. I mean, he had a quite the exciting thing. The, the Browns' first year in the NFL, 1950, he uh, had a last-second field goal to give the Browns a 1950 NFL championship. So it was dramatic. Even, you know, here's a team coming in from what was considered, you know, the inferior AAFC, what are they going to do, you know, in the, in the big bad NFL. And all they did is come in and, you know, steal a championship in the last second off of Lou, the toe Groza, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah. one of the great nicknames too. Yeah, sure is very, very fitting <laughs> with his kicking style. So <laughs> I'm sure that's probably how he got it. But yeah, yeah, like like Blanda, uh, he did the thing where, oh yeah, okay, so I'm I'm too old to play the line anymore. I'm going to become a kicker, <laughs> right. and and went on and you know was leading kickers in scoring, you know, for the league in his forties. So yeah, I think he's definitely one that uh, is going to go on our list, though. So I think we can probably mark him up right now if that's okay with you. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, sure. yeah, all right, we got one down. Uh, who, who do you want to go to next here on our substantial players that were number 46? Oh, well, look, I'm just going to cut to the chase right now. I mean, the reason why I wanted to come on the show is for Doug Plank. Oh, I thought uh, it was because you wanted to talk to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's wow. your oh, show. Oh, jeez. <laughs> it's your show. It goes without saying, right? All right, come on. Uh, all right, so, so yeah, I just, I really came on to talk Doug Plank. I mean, I mean, so... You know, for me, when you talk about goats, um, or at least when I talk about goats, because I try not to throw the word around so much, you're talking about the kind of player, you know, of the sort who, for example, has an entire defensive scheme named after him. Okay. That shows a level of, of, I guess in Plank's case, it was just being ahead of his time. Right. Because mm -hmm. after Plank, everything changes. I mean, he creates essentially the modern free safety position and, and, and safety has always been one of my favorite positions in all of football. I definitely like defense more than offense. And I think on defense, my, my favorite position are the safeties. I love the free safety, love the strong safety. But when I say that now I'm conscious that I'm saying that because of Plank, um, 
Buddy Ryan was the creator of this uh, defense. Am I correct? It was yeah. Buddy Ryan, right? right. Yeah, 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 Buddy, Buddy Ryan. Ryan. Yep. Yeah, there's there's a few Ryans in there, so I don't want to mix. Yeah, his his, his sons were Buddy's sons were both defensive coordinators, and one was a head right. coach for a while. But uh, Buddy was right. the the mastermind that started it all. Okay, right. I know it wasn't Rex Ryan. I know Jesus, right, right. But I didn't want to confuse anybody. <laughs> okay, so he created this defense, and it is said that you know he created this to showcase the unique talents of Plank. Again, Plank. Plank is in the football dude's DeLorean here. He's coming from the future to go play on you know, the Bears in the 70s and early 80s. And, uh, you know, I, these are classic Chicago Bears teams, certainly of my lifetime, of your lifetime, pretty much since the merger, always at least an above average defense, if not very good, and no offense. Mm -hmm. These were the kind of teams he played on. Now, the 46 defense that was created by Ryan, most, most casual fans imagine that that's a formation. You know, so that would be sort of a, 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 you know, where you have the four typically on the line from a 4-3. Then you sort of have that arc spread. I mean, now that exists. That's a cover zero. Mm -hmm. But, you know, basically what it really is, is that it refers to having eight guys in the box with four on the line, uh, six on the line, um, two playing where the linebackers would normally play. And again, this allows you to expose, in, in this case, plank skill set, but what is now the standard skill set. For me, the safety is kind of like the tight end of the defense. By that, I mean, you have to master several disparate skills at the same time, right? If you're a safety, especially if you're a strong safety, you're rushing the quarterback, right? You're mm -hmm. um, getting tackles, right? And you're also trying to pick the ball off when possible, right? You've got all three of those skills working. Right. You're a cornerback and a linebacker at the same time, <laughs> you know, <laughs> among other things, right? And even to some extent, a defensive lineman if you're if you're, if you're hot. So, um, and and Plank was able to do that in a way that until that point the safeties really hadn't been able to do. Now, you know, when you look at it. Yeah, he's only playing seven full seasons with the Bears. Um, on the other hand, you could point to this and say, well, first of all, they didn't count tackles in those days. Second of all, in those seven full seasons, he had 15 picks and 14 fumble recoveries. That's pretty outstanding, even for safety nowadays. So, you know, on a longer schedule. <laughs> so pretty impressive stuff i think in general and again like i say if you change the game to the point where you're in the playbook or you're in the rule book you've changed the game you're you're a goat and for me that puts him on on you know any any such list like this one um yeah i i agree i totally agree uh 
you know, it's uh, it's interesting that he only played those seven seasons, sort of missed out on that that great Bears defense of 85, mm-hmm. but, but played played it, you know, I think 82 was his last final season. But yeah, mm-hmm. he was just a tremendous uh, guy, like you said, multiple skill set, you know, coming up and, you know, taking on blockers and playing linebacker a little bit, uh, you know, playing some some uh coverage and uh, when he's playing coverage when they when they go into man he's usually taking the, the biggest uh, offensive receiver there you know usually the tight end you know but you gotta you gotta be a, a man to do that to take some of those guys down you know some of those it big would, uh, it would be nice to have you know i don't know maybe you should chain a few interns to some desks and video video machines and just you know can't we get some of these tackle totals in here you know if not for the full season maybe like the games that are on national tv i mean they got to have these monday night football games well i'm i'm yeah. sc- i'm scrolling through as we talk because a lot of times on the pro football journal website uh, they do mm, a great job okay. over there and they they take some of those tackles and sacks oh, and statistics before they were statistics mm-hmm. uh, you know i know uh, Chris Willis helps out over there quite a bit and uh, they, they get a lot of game film. Uh, John Turney, I've, I've talked, talked with him and he, they do a great job of it. And I'm scrolling through, through safeties right now, see if I can find anything on him and I am not seeing him so far on their list, but uh, as you're talking here, I'll keep looking. <laughs> well, again, you know, seven seasons, uh, he's not going to be, are, are they listed by like career they're, they're put them in a ranking of all time great uh, strong safeties, and uh, mm. you know, I'm down. To, I'm down to number thirty six, and I still haven't seen him. So yeah, see again for me, it's not a guy that's going to appear on stats, but but it's a, a you know the, well, I mean it's, it, he changed things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got another guy that's on our list, though I believe uh, Tim okay. McDonald's on here. Okay, so, so we do have a little bit of information on him, right? Yep. Um, He's a, well, uh, okay. So, so this is late eighties into the nineties. So aren't they starting to keep tackle stats at this point? Well, they are not, I do not see them on the um, pro football reference. Um, Wow. Crazy. Yeah. I'm I'm going through here again, looking again, Um, kick returns, punt returns, no, they do not have tackles down for him. So it wow. must be maybe after 85, maybe. Does that sound about okay. right? Which seems kind oh, of crazy. The, it, it, it's even later than that if you don't have anything on Tim McDonald. Uh, uh, because... well, let's see. Tim McDonald, let me look on Pro Football Reference and look and see. Um, they do have tackles for Tim McDonald. He started in 87. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I've got the stat right here. Yeah, I wanted Tim McDonald. I mean, okay, so – here, obviously, we're getting stats kept on defense now, and Tim McDonald is running them up. I mean, okay, so he's on there as playing in parts of 13 seasons, but really just 12. So that first year, he's just, I don't know, coming off the bench for like the last three games of the season, probably in the classic NFL style. Uh, but in those other 12 seasons, I mean, okay, so 40 interceptions, 10 fumble recoveries, and over 93 tackles per season, too. That's a strong safety. This is the kind of guy that I did. Tim McDonald, man. Um, and, and again, I, I, I don't want to like put too fine a point on it, but again, this is, this is the sort of thing that Plank creates this is a sort of player that that 
is inspired by by playing. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of uh, the strong safeties of today can give a lot of credit to, to what Plank did. You know, I mean, even your uh, Troy Polamalu's and, uh, mm. uh, you know, to some extent, uh, um, who is the, the guy with the Cardinals that played for so long, came up and played in the box, you know, box safety quite a bit. Uh, you know, all those guys. Oh, you know what? I did. I found Doug Plank on uh, Pro Football Journal. They have him ranked. <laughs> they have him ranked number 83 in strong safeties. Uh, with the Bears, oh. yeah, but they do not have his tackles, unfortunately. So, and where's where's McDonald? McDonald was uh, up in the '60s, I believe. He was quite a bit higher. Might even been again. Forty six is forty six is an obscure number, even for players in the secondary. Apparently, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he ranks pretty high on the list of forty sixes in terms of like WAR and AV and stuff like that, but. Wow, you're, you tell me it's like sixty all time among among safeties. Wow, <laughs> um, yeah. So, but McDonald, I think, is kind of where this list, you know, that from here the list gets a bit. Yeah, Tim, Tim McDonald's at least ranked, in terms of forty six. Tim McDonald's ranked forty one on Pro Football Journal's list. Oh, that he's ahead of uh, players like Jack Tatum and uh, some others that are I'm kind of surprised, but they go pretty much off of statistics that they're, they're pulling up themselves watching game film and, you know, game mm. programs and scorecards and all kinds of information nice. is the way it was explained to me. Uh, and nice. I know they have many of the stats. I just, sometimes they don't show them up here and that they aren't on this case. Well, you know, football is a weird game like this. You know, really defies statistics. I mean, I, I go on this rant every year. How can it be that the second highest paid position in football is left tackle? And that's not even represented in fantasy football at all. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, like there's no stat to 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 express for the offensive line at all none nothing apparently not uh for a long time and, and you know this you go back into the early days and for a long time you know there's no stats at all except points right right and that's it that's the stats and then a guy like thorpe would get you know 95 97 of all the stats for his team for the <laughs> It's yeah. just kicking, kicking, you know, 40 field goals. And that's all the points. I mean, you look at even, even when we looked at Groza, I mean, Groza only had yeah. statistics for his kicking and he was a, yeah. a great offense alignment, you know, and a great defensive yep. player for a while too. So it's, yep. uh, yep. yeah, it's, it's a funny that's thing. Way, well, uh, you know, again, it's a game that defies statistics. I mean, if, if you think about it, almost every uh, other game we have is is well more prone to statistics than football. I mean, again, you've got guys that football is unique in the fact that you have guys who can go a whole hall of fame career, you know, a guy like uh, Joe Smith for the Browns um, and never touch the ball, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, for a ball game. That's pretty unique. I mean, they have similar players in rugby, but even they get the ball more often than, the offensive line in American football. So, 
you know, it, it's a it's a unique game in this respect, and and we're seeing that I think with some of these safeties, <laughs> some of these forty sixes, you know, they're defying statistics. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like you say, the, the linemen do not get enough credit, both offensively, especially offensively. Defense, at least they get uh, some sacks and credit for tackles. But those offensive linemen, I mean, you think about it, they're having heavy contact, heavy combat every single play that they're on the field. Yep. And, you know, sometimes a running back or a wide receiver or quarterback, they don't get touched. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not those big guys in the trenches. They're... You know, they're really taking a beating on their bodies and uh, their large bodies, too. And they have, you know, some 300 some pound guy leaning on them for, you know, five, six seconds every single play that, that wears on you. And they don't get the credit. But uh, you're right. They ought to oh, yeah. have some kind if, of stat for them. If these guys do their job, the quarterback won't get hit. OK, mm-hmm. they'll get hit the same amount of times. <laughs> right, right. Whether they do their job correctly or not. <laughs> yeah. Whether they do it successfully or not. But so it's 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 a thankless job. And if you do a really yeah, good job, fun. Dan Marino will buy a pair of isotoners at the end of the season. You know? Oh my god! <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> oh my god! At least Back they worked the day, their way up to Rolexes and cars and stuff now. So at least that's he better. was. No, he was Dan Marino was the Aaron Rodgers of his day. Yeah, by that I mean ubiquitous on commercials. Right, yeah, right. No. Oh my God, he was the pitch man, and then he and then he parlayed that into an awesome cameo in Ace Ventura. Right, yeah, right. That, that was that was his huge movie career. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> in any case, hey, you know what? I can segue from. We've got a guy with a career in entertainment, right? Herm Edwards. Right, Herm right. Edwards well, makes the 46 list. Yeah, but before we get in Edwards, what I think, uh, let's see, we, we talked, uh, you want to finish up on McDonald first or you want to come back to McDonald? Um, you, you got it. What else you got? I mean, to me, he's just, well, I mean, there's a, there's a reason why he's so high up on this list. I mean, he's a, he's a classic, like, 90s strong safety. Right. I mean, it's, it's interesting, and I'm not sure who's right here. Pro Football Reference has him at 1,139 uh, combination tackles. 380 right. of those are solo, where Pro Football Journal has him with 1,115 tackles, 49 of them behind the line of scrimmage, uh, and nine of those they're counting as sacks. So, wow. in their statistics. And, you know, his 40 interceptions. So, some great numbers to, to go along with a great player. Um, yeah, so that would that would take him down to about like what about ninety one and a half tackles a season, as opposed right. to ninety three. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> which right, is right. what yeah. Pro Football Reference has. So, and 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 it's consistent too. It's not right. a situation where he has a couple freak one twenty tackle seasons. I mean, he's producing through his whole career, which is another outstanding feature of McDonald because uh, he doesn't have that tail off like like most of these like most players. Right. So I think uh, he, he should take probably take our second slot on the uh, on our top 10 here. I think that's well, three, right? number. three, three. Are you, are you put plank in there also? Oh, plank's got to be. Two. OK. All right. Plank's we haven't really discussed that. OK. We got three taken up. OK. Oh, got it. Let's go to Herm Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I didn't want to leave those loose strings. I'm OCD that way. We have to tie the strings. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> well, actually, uh, I'm going to admit to a shortcoming in my research on this one. Of course, Herm Edwards is probably mostly known nowadays as the we can do this guy uh, from from Hard Knocks. 
and the subsequent TV that he's been doing and post-game, pre-game, during-game shows, whatever. I try and avoid those in general. I like red zone these days <laughs> in any case. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was a pretty decent cornerback for the Eagles. But I got to admit to it, to the shortcoming here, why did he leave? I mean, because he had like eight years. He played most of those games. He didn't seem to have a big uh, injury history. So do you know it? Did he just just wake up one morning and quit or was it an injury or what happened? I'm, I'm not sure. I think, uh, well, his last season he played on two different teams. So I'm wondering maybe yeah. he just sort of fell off of this uh, skill set. You know, he played with the Falcons and the Rams in and 1986. Rams, yeah. uh, did not have the games, only had seven games. So I'm assuming probably some injury or, or something paid okay. in there. But, you know, he, he is most famous for, what was it, the miracle at the Meadowlands uh, where he mm. – uh, Took, picked, uh, picked up that fumble and uh, raced in and uh, the, the Eagles beat the Giants. Is that the way that went, I believe? Yes. And then they had to, and then they changed the rules the next year. Right, right. Because <laughs> so. that's that's when they instituted the deal down. So I guess by my own reckoning, I mean, he changed the rules. So I guess I guess we got to put firm in any discussion and, as well. And, and that's probably one of the you know top 10 greatest finishes in NFL history is that miracle of the mm-hmm. Meadowlands. And he was the guy that scored to pick up the ball and scored. So yeah, you got to give him some credit there and some love there. So I, I think he's uh well-deserving and he was, he was a pretty good coach too. I, I liked him as a coach. He was great personality and I'm surprised he didn't stick around on some teams a little bit longer because he really didn't have that bad a record. I don't think as a coach, I don't have those. Yeah. Yeah. Felt like he always had TV on the radar. I, these guys, they the coaches, they they see TV, and they they get a taste of TV, and it's just like, nah, why would I ever coach again? Who needs <laughs> it? I mean, John Madden retired as one of the winningest coaches of all time by percentage, but if he hadn't gone into broadcasting, I mean, his head probably would have blown off his neck at some. Because that dude was a serious high stress head coach. I mean, they're all high stress, but ooh, I mean, Madden was off the charts. I remember watching Raiders games. You know, we have a Raider on the list here, don't we? Uh, I, uh yeah, Todd Christensen. Yeah, Todd Christensen. I don't think he played for Madden, but uh, I remember Christensen from those days because that was when. Uh, the Raiders had that reputation for being the biggest cheaters in the league. Uh, they were certainly the biggest bad boys in the league. I mean, you have stuff like, no, it was John Matuzek who paralyzed Daryl Stingley, right? right on a right. Com- completely gratuitous sort of karate chop hit over the middle in a preseason game, you know? Uh, so, so the Raiders were particularly hated. And in fact, there's that early episode of the Simpsons where Lisa picks for the Raiders because they always cheat. And that, that harkens back to those days. And, you know, that, that continued through Madden and into Flores's uh, time as coach, you know, even to some extent, a little bit when they moved to Los Angeles, that was still kind of there. They were still kind of the bad boys of the NFL. And uh, so those were the teams that Christensen was playing on. 
I certainly remember that about him. He must have taken over pretty much for Dave Casper. Yeah, I, th- I think so. Cause I think Casper sort of went out the same time that Madden did Madden's last season was 78. Right. Like you said, Christensen came in 79 with the Raiders. Uh, so he must've been, who's it? Flores was it, their coach right after Madden, I believe. Uh, it might've been. Yeah. yeah I think so. I think they won the coach, Super Bowl in the early eighties with Marcus right. Allen. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The only Super Bowl Los Angeles has ever won. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it was, a, it was that weird one against Washington, which is a team that uh, has been in two cities since they were in Los Angeles. <laughs> yep. 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 Hey, uh, Hey, uh, to go on a tangent here, you can edit this out if you want, but how about the uh, Oakland A's moving to Las Vegas, <laughs> joining the Raiders? Huh? Oh, are they? Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear wow. that. Yeah, no, they're talking about relocating, man. They're uh-huh. the only team in Oakland. Wow. Do you realize that? They're the only team in Oakland. Now, Jeez. The Raiders left. The Warriors left. You know, they're, they're, they're the only ones left now. And and so, and apparently like Major League Baseball is like, oh, yeah, sure. Look for a new place. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead. Look for a new city. Yeah. You know, I, I know it's, it's probably hard for Oakland fans or any, but the rest of the country, especially us in the East, we're looking at it and you look on a map and okay. Oakland's right next to San Francisco. You've got a team, you know, within, I don't know how far apart they are, but what, 30 miles of, of each other, probably I'm guessing. I'm, yeah. Okay. But now the 49ers play in Santa Clara, which oh, is okay. even further inland. Okay, right? so that's not even a proper bait. But, but it's anymore. but it's not like a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, moving and you know they have nobody then, you know, for hundreds of miles, right. you know. So right, yeah, right. Yeah. So well, I mean, and the other, well, the funny thing is, you know, it's 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 still cheap to go there. I mean, like how cheap are flights from Oakland to Las Vegas right now, especially during football season? No, oh, yeah, come on. Las Vegas travel on no dummies. Do you realize they still haven't played a game there? They still haven't played a game in that stadium? They didn't? I, I thought they did nope. last year. No? Nope. <laughs> nope. Not oh. during COVID. My God, Nevada was, Las Vegas was getting crushed with COVID. Oh, really? No way. They didn't oh. play. Nope. Nope. Oh, okay. Maybe. <laughs> they, I, well, maybe I, knew they I remember seeing like, front of, they haven't played in front of fans. Let's okay. Say. Okay. They no, did no play a game there because I remember them showing uh, some scenes of the the stadium on one of the games, like a Thursday night game or something. I was watching. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because Collinsworth was going off. He's like, when yeah. they open this place, it's gonna be great. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I think they played a game. The, the maybe no fans way. though. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it's totally okay. insane. All right. So what do we want to do? Her, Herm Edwards on on our list. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. again, this, I figured this so. list I figured. is getting pretty thin. So, so, but yeah, Herm has got to go on there just for, you know, contributions to the game. Right? Okay. And uh, what about Christensen? I think he's probably deserving too. looking at. Uh, yeah. The rare case of a tight end. Wearing 46. They, right? they don't get enough love either. They, they need, they need a little love. We'll give. Oh, they do on now. <laughs> they do now. They do now. The game. I mean, this is this is a way that football is evolving. Um, is that you know, you know, I mean, people say this all the time. The fullback is a dead position. You know, there are several teams that don't even carry a, a proper fullback. You know, on their roster. Um, you know, but on, on the other hand, you know, the tight end is becoming deadly important. I mean, 
uh, back in the days when the Patriots had Rashad Caldwell as their top receivers. This is what, like 2005, 2006 or whatever. Uh, the Patriots ran something like 30% of their offensive sets out of three tight ends. Three tight ends. Hmm. Imagine doing that in Christensen's day. You know? uh, Plus, the other thing is this. Look at, look at the tight ends in the last two Super Bowls, right? It's Kelsey. It's Rob Gronkowski, and uh, it's um, uh, help me out here. My age is showing the tight end uh, for San Francisco. The, oh, the 49ers. Um, uh, Kittle. Kittle. Yeah, Kittle. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. at least two of these guys are future Hall of Famers, and Kittle probably is too. Oh, I, I think all, all three of them are. Football. <laughs> yeah, they're all fantasy football darlings. And in those two Super Bowls, these three guys combined for four friggin' touchdowns. I mean, that this is the day of the tight end. This is the golden age. Um, I remember reading an interview of the tight end. It wasn't Christensen, but it was from around that time, where if you were a tight end, it would be like, um, okay, spend the first half of practice with the receiver's coach and then go work out with the line. You know, it's kind of like there was no such thing as an ends coach. You know, so so I think the tight end is getting the respect that they deserve now. I, I think that 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 is a great position. That's an awesome position. And you even think about it, even as uh, late ago, or not so many years ago as the seventies, you had uh, one year a guy would be a tackle, next year he'd be a tight end, and then he'd flip yeah. him back. So they were like yeah. almost interchangeable. Hey, lose twenty pounds, you're a tight end. You know. Well, yeah, they never passed to him. Right, they never right. Passed to him. It was a tight end in those days. He was right on the line, and he was there to block. That was it. They were also running the ball a lot more in those days, too. And you had a fullback, right? You had the fullback, right? So, you know, again, there's a lot more running going on. There's a lot more power running going on. So the tight end is mostly a blocker. Right, right. (laughs) So nowadays your second or your third tight end is the blocker. (laughs) <laughs> the other two guys are out there to catch, right? <laughs> it's, 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 it's wacky. It's great. It's great though. It's great for them because, you know, again, I like that position. It's a, it's a position that requires a disparate skill set. Um, and which, which is, you know, being appreciated those, this last 10, 20 years. That, that's for sure. All right. Uh, what direction do we want to go to next on our, our 46s? Wow. Um, well, I'll tell you who my favorite on this list is from a nostalgia standpoint is Chuck Muncie. Oh, yeah. um, I was a kid when he was in his heyday. Um, that, first of all, 46, great number for a running back too, right? So he should make the list along with Christensen just for like having the number at that position. But uh, there were times when this dude appeared unstoppable I, he was in that earl campbell mode right where he could either just pound the line like the fullback and just make the hole and hit it you know or he could dance he could dance and he could break away um he lost that breakaway speed towards the end but still in 1981 towards the end of his career when he's in San Diego with the Chargers back when they played in San Diego, uh, 19 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would have been, he would have been the fantasy darling if we had had fantasy in 1981. Uh, right. 
but I, I remember playing with them on tabletop football. That was great. <laughs> you could actually put him into that fullback position because he had a rating for fullback. So you just throw him back there, get like an Earl Campbell at halfback and just kill it. <laughs> Didn't matter who your quarterback was. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I love Chuck. And I, you know, again, here's a guy born before his time, at least in terms of fantasy football, because he would have been a great fantasy football pickup. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, 71 touchdowns in his career. And I always say, you know, that that magic number for running backs in the NFL, you if you hit 7,000 yards, now he's a little bit shy of it. So he has 6,700, but, you know, he's a good good game away from hitting that 7,000 mark, you know, basically. And uh, 71 touchdowns is nothing to sneeze at either. So I, I definitely agree with you. And I think he definitely makes our list also. I can't yeah, see yeah, how yeah. he can't. So he's certainly the best running back ever to wear 46. <laughs> yeah. Right. 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 We can give him that. <laughs> that's for, that's definitely, he gets the award for that one. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we love to give these superlatives these days. Right. Um, let's see, see, see after this, the, the list just gets weird. You know, for me, um, one of the interesting things about, you know, doing the research on 46 is, is, um, the way that the number has been used by these guys through time. I guess now uh, you should be excited as the Jersey number guy. Uh, there's this rule now where they're sort of loosening up that positionality. Right. So, I am. For, so for example, the, uh, the number 11 draft pick by the Cowboys is going to wear number 11 this season as a, as a middle <laughs> linebacker. That's dope. That's USFL stuff, right? They used to do that yeah, stuff. Yeah, so, so I kind of like it for that. And and on your chart of AV, talk about a position that defies statistics, are three current day long snappers. So I guess all of a sudden now 46 is the number for long snappers. I don't know how this happened. Uh, but yeah, you've got three active players, uh, John Weeks, Morgan Cox, and Aaron Brewer. And uh, Cox, who's with Tennessee, I thought was pretty interesting because in researching for this piece, I noted that uh, the Titans seeking to address their offensive line woes had signed a left tackle, <laughs> which was Cox's former position. So, so it's just like, I guess that's how valuable the Titans consider and, and the long snapper is considered in the game nowadays. I don't know, you know, if any of these guys, Weeks or Brewer or Cox is going to be, uh, you know, an immortal, you know, right. recognized as a goat in any respect. But I just found that interesting. And I also found it interesting, too, that these three guys have barely missed a game. Now, again, they're only going out there for four, five, six plays a game. But still, I mean, football is, is dangerous in a lot of respects. And it's amazing that these guys can generally avoid the, uh, the, the injury bug, as we say. 
Yeah, that, that's definitely true. It, it is quite surprising to see those long snappers up there. You know, <laughs> when we're talking AV, we're using the AV that the pro football reference uses on these. Right. And uh, we're definitely, we're running a sort on them and they're jumping up and, uh, uh well, one of them's in the top 10 of the number 46s, which you never see a long snapper in. Uh, you're usually well, yeah. you don't see a regular center in, you know, unless you're like talking yeah. 52 or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, the um, it, it's, I mean, again, it's, it's a position that really defies statistics. Like it's, it, it may be the ultimate one. I, I guess you could have flubbed snaps, but it doesn't seem to happen that often. And, and, Another interesting thing for me that this reveals about American football or reminds us of is, wow, seriously, NFL football must be, in particular, must be the most complex game, most complex sport ever created. It must be. It has to be, right? The Mm -hmm. level of specialization at this point where you can have a guy whose only job is to snap it to the punter. I mean, can you imagine – Two years ago, what it must have been like to be the long snapper for the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> and they had whole runs where they didn't punt. I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean, what uh, to, the fact that they're paying some guy at least low seven figures to watch football. <laughs> On the ground level, is he, he he got to sit there right next to the quarterback that holds a clipboard, the third string guy. You know, so. I guess, yeah, I guess, yeah. You know, the wannabe coach, right? The one, right, right. The the guy that's going to be coaching seven years, right? Um, yeah. So so it's just wild that again, it just reminds you how complex and and wild this 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 American football is. That's definitely true. Well, there's another running back I'd like to talk about because he had some substantial touchdowns. That's Pete Johnson. Um, you know, okay. Pete, Pete, of course, uh, played with the Cincinnati Bengals his in, I think, uh, most of his career. I guess he finished 1984 with the uh, Miami Dolphins, San Diego Chargers, uh, sort of a split season. But from 77 to 83, he was a Cincinnati Bengal. And they really didn't have that bad of teams then. Uh, but he had 76 touchdowns during that. He made it to one Pro Bowl, uh, 5,600 yards rushing, uh, 3.8 yards per carry. So not bad to compliment. Uh, I guess it would have been uh, Kenny Anderson would have been the quarterback uh, mm. during most of that era with them. So, you know, they had a decent, decent uh, passer under center and uh, a big back to hand off to. And I can remember he, he did some damage against my Steelers uh, quite a few times. So. <laughs> Yeah, that that was back in the day when um, the it was the Steelers, the Oilers, and the Bengals, and, and the Browns had good teams too. You know, you had competing. the Brian Sipe era, you know, the Cardiac Kids. Yes, yeah, so. for a little while, yeah, yeah, that's right. Brian Sipe was yeah. MVP that one year. Yes, and uh, did okay because I'm looking at the numbers here. Oh wow, I wonder. Okay, I'm going to have to look at the stats on this because, of course. In 1981, the year Johnson made the Pro Bowl, that was the year that the Bengals made the Super Bowl. Right. Uh, for the first time? No. Yeah, the first, have, I think the first, time. first time. They, they lost uh, Montana's. Uh, that's when Montana and the uh, Niners were coming about, too, at the same time. Right, they, they right, 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 right. Yeah. And, um, okay, so 
but I see that he played an abbreviated season that year. So I'm just wondering if he actually got to play in the Super Bowl. And it doesn't look like it. Oh, that's a shame. Hmm. That's too bad. That was definitely the high point or one of the peaks of that Cincinnati team. But yeah, they had a good run there. They had a good run. They had some real Hall of Famers on those teams, Anthony Munoz and those guys. Um, well, he, those, okay, I, I have his playoff his playoff uh, career. He did play in that oh, Super playoff Bowl. Stats. Okay. Oh, he did. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he had he had uh, seven pl- or six playoff games. Three of them were in that '81 season, and one was against San Francisco 49ers in a 21 to 26 loss in the Super Bowl. All right. Does it have his stats right there? Uh, his stats, he had uh, 36 yards rushing in the Super Bowl. Oh, okay. So on 14 okay. carries, 2.57. So the the Niners, uh, Ronnie Lott must have been coming up in the box and yeah. uh, knocking, knocking him around a little bit maybe. Yeah, they stuffed him a bit on that. But yeah. again, like he's he's at least listed, you know, on the depth chart as a fullback, right? So mm-hmm. he's also doing it. He's not meant to be. You know, yeah, yeah, the fullback is is almost an extinct position, but this was a guy who literally, you know, uh, was meant to get you three yards. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I, it was like, in fact, Madden used to have a joke when you ran the, the fullback in the old Madden game for PC where he would come on and he would say, uh, I like this guy. He's the kind of guy where the coach says, I, I need three yards. Can you get me that? I can get you three yards. I need seven yards. Can you get me that? I can get you three yards. Right. <laughs> that's a fullback, right? You right, can get right. your three yards anytime. <laughs> and that's the kind of guy Johnson was. Yeah, he didn't, but clearly he didn't get to break away at all in that Super Bowl. No, so. no. Actually, his whole playoffs, he had his first playoff game that year was against the Buffalo Bills. He was 2.65 yards per carry, 45 total right. yards. Had a really good game against San Diego Chargers uh, where he had 80 yards uh, and a touchdown. He did have a touchdown against Buffalo, too, but he averaged uh, 3.8 yards per carry against San Diego. So he had that, but one good playoff game in the middle there and a yeah. couple touchdowns. So power bad. runner. Yeah, power runner. Yeah, right. sure. Yeah. Right. A decent career. Yeah. Okay, great. I was, I was overlooking uh, Pete. So yeah, I, put him on the list. Okay. All right. So he that would be our seventh spot. <laughs> so we had wow. seven. Only so, seven, huh? Yeah. <laughs> seven. But I mean, I don't think you want to put the long snappers in. Uh <laughs> maybe we could just put it in as the collective long snapper. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we can kick a long snapper <laughs> in the greatest players All in NFL history. That one forty six. Okay. Uh, well, gee. Okay. Well, I mean, because then you start getting really obscure. And I mean, you know, as a guy who specializes in the obscure in sports history, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, I don't believe that I've ever read up on Russ Letlow. But I was going to just suggest that right now about him. Yeah. Um, he's kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, prejudice a little bit about this particular era of football um, from the mid thirties to the end of the war, because I really think that there's a paucity of talent. Uh, the schedules are very fluid, you know, teams are disappearing and 
reconstituting and whatnot. So I really am kind of cynical. And, you know, again, you look at Letlow's stats and for example, he never played uh, more than 11 games in a season. And to be honest, I didn't dig deep enough to find out if that's just because of weird scheduling, random scheduling, or, you know, is he injured or is that the number of games they played that year or what? I, I think um, they only played so, like 12, 12 game seasons back then. Well, okay. There you go. So there you he maybe missed one game and uh, they're two way players remember. So mm-hmm. they're, they're taking a lot of snaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, he, he's down um, in the books as a left guard. So playing on that offensive line, but of course these are the days of two way players. So he's probably somewhere in that front eight, Deep defensive tackle. Defense. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that's the other stat he's at. Can you imagine? Oh, defensive tackle. Okay. Yeah. Right. But you know, th- this is crazy. Okay. We just talked about Pete Johnson, who was a running back that was six foot tall and weighed 252, bowling ball. Russ Lito, 40 years earlier in the NFL, was playing guard and defensive tackle, six foot tall, even. 214 pounds. <laughs> this is amazing was, how in four decades it changed that much. I was hoping you were going to bring that up. I mean, imagine <laughs> put, putting this guy at DT today. That might work in like high school. <laughs> he might not even be able to play safety at 214 pounds. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, not in the NFL. Man. He, he his, his draft stock would have slid. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> Damn. So, but, I mean... You know, out of ignorance, I'm afraid to put Letlow on there, but you know, the numbers speak well of the man. So. Well, you know, I mean, let's let's talk about his hardware he got. You know, he had two Pro Bowls, two NFL championships, lifelong Green Bay Packer, you know, Curly Lambos Packers, uh, oh, Hall okay. of Fame, all 1930s team. So he oh. was doing something right when he played. Well, there you go. There you go. Okay, yeah, fair I, enough. Fair and enough. they we don't all have stats team. on him. all decade team. That's fine. That's right. yeah. and, 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 you know, when you say Lambos Packers, you know, the thing is in those days, the NFL is so small, right? You know, there's, there's so few teams and yeah. Talk about your top heavy leagues. I mean, these are like, I mean, the, the San Francisco 49ers, we talked about the AFC before. So the San Francisco 49ers are joining the NFL at 49, well, after 49 seasons. So for 1950. And then as we just talked about, they make the Super Bowl for the first time in what? Super Bowl 16. So that's 1982 is the year, 81 season. Right? I mean, you know, this says something to the lack of parity in a very small league. You know, you got a very small league and there's four contenders basically over and over and over again. So, okay, 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 but this this speaks well of uh, Letlow, Letlow though. Right, because- that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. If, if you say he's a starter, for 10 years on, you know, one of those three or four dominant teams. It's just like our man, our man, Lou Groza from the, from the Browns, you know, Oh, he was on nine all-star teams for one of the four good teams in the NFL. Great. (laughs) But, uh, but you know, Letlow came in 1936. I believe that was the first year of the NFL draft, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. so oh, he so he might have been in the football before the draft, and the draft was caused because you basically had two teams taking all the good players, you know, between the Bears and the Giants, and uh, you know the smaller market teams, even the Packers, you know they they were struggling to get uh, good players, you know, and then you know the Eagles, the Steelers, uh, the Lions, they all struggled, 
because you had those two big powerhouses with all the money and you know, all the good players. And that's where guys coming out of college would say, Hey, I'm going to go with the best team. You know, why, why do I want to go to a loser? You know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. I mean, if it's good enough for baseball, it should be good enough for everybody. Right. I mean, there's a reason why the Yankees won, you know, whatever it was, 39 world series in 70 years or whatever. Right. That was the only team anybody wanted to go to. So, and this happens all the time. This happens all the time in Europe too. You actually bring up a good point that the draft prevented this top heaviness. I mean, this is the way of all European sports leagues from soccer on down with a few exceptions here and there, like England, but two or three teams rise to the top and they win the championship every year. That's it. That's mm -hmm. it. In Greece, it's Panathinaikos or Olympiakos, 10 out of 11 years. And then, yeah, somebody might sneak in once in a while and keep things exciting. But, I mean, it's just absolute total domination. Almost like the Celtics in the 60s. You know, it's just they win every year, you know. So, right. so that the draft kind of prevented that from happening. So, again, hey, change the game. Ah, I guess we could put Letlow in there or influence the game. Right. Uh, now, I have another interesting running back to talk about, and this okay. is more of a modern right. player. I mean, Alfred Morris, we're number 46. Yeah. yeah. Eight seasons. Has some good numbers. You know, a couple Pro Bowls under his belt, uh, 6,100 yards rushing, 35 touchdowns in his career. Uh, even play, still playing, I believe. I know he played last year. I'm not sure if he's coming back in 2021, but, uh, you know, <laughs> four years with the Redskins, a couple years with the Cowboys, the 49ers, the Cardinals, Giants last year. Uh, where, where do we have Alfred Morris on our list of 46s? Well, Alfred Morris, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought him up too. I was, I was a little on the fence here about Morris uh, because he, he did switch numbers there at the end and you know he, he moved around to so many teams there at the end as well i i wanted to see actually i was going to look this up really quickly to see if he's still uh or if he's signed with anybody right now so let's see how about yeah just go straight here um so <laughs> i keep coming back to pro football reference i gotta stop looking at this page obviously <laughs> uh so let's see is he with anybody right now? No, he is not. Still unsigned. Okay. So perhaps he, well, or he could sign up for the last month of the season. Yeah. Too. There's a lot of free agents out there that are, yeah. I think, uh, cap casualties, you know, right now. And with yeah, but with, a 17, with, but with a 17 game season, you're going to see slightly right. more of these guys come in. To I mean, at the end I mean, of the year, so I mean this this cat as a rookie had sixteen hundred yards rushing mm -hmm. and didn't win yeah. the didn't win the rushing title. You know that's that's a big... I was I was gonna say uh, I remember him mostly as a fantasy guy. He mm -hmm. was in that first year because again he was a rookie and nobody saw this guy coming. He he was like that Vogue you know week four edition that everybody had to have. You know where it was like. 93% ad, you know, that kind of thing. And right. then I remember for, for years after that, it was always a question of how high is this guy going to go in the draft, in the fantasy draft. Um, and so, yeah, that's mostly how I remember him. I guess, I guess that was the peak of my fantasy career was 10 to, 10 to 8 years ago <laughs> when Morris was, was in his heyday. But yeah, first three seasons, kind of 1,000-yard um, barrier. But 
unfortunately, too, as we found with a lot of these, or as we were collectively reminded with uh, fantasy football, these guys that get run into the ground really hit the wall uh, even faster these days. I mean, you look at the attempts first season, 335 carries. That's a lot, even for a non-rookie. Okay, I guess especially for a non-rookie. But then... 276, 265, 202, and then all of a sudden, you know, the production decreases. You know, it just falls off the map. And uh, this, this is kind of the way uh, for some of these halfbacks. Like, for example, you got to be worried about a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, th- this guy has been overused for a few years now. And, uh, you know, this year, maybe next, you got to figure it's the wall. I mean, not everybody is superhuman like Derrick Henry. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot, Priest Holmes, I guess, was the classic example of this. Because this dude was getting 280, 290 carries every year for the Chiefs. It's just pounding it over and over and over again. And then from one year to the next, he just fell right off. He was just like, he was the fantasy disappointment of that year, mm-hmm. I remember. And, uh, you know, that kind of seems to be the model for some of these guys. If, if you're not on a running back by committee, if you're a Saquon Barkley, you're in danger of the five-year career. And I kind of I feel like Morris was, was that prototype. Yeah, he he definitely took a beating to his body. You know, when you're having uh, you know 600 carries in your first two seasons yeah. in the NFL, that's a lot. Yeah. That yeah. is a lot. Any any time you run the ball, you take a beating basically until you break away. Mm-hmm. Any time you run the ball, you're you're getting hit. Even if you don't go down, you're getting hit. Right. So I mean, logically, you would want to minimize that, even even if you're a stud. You know, you just, you just, it's almost like running backs have mileage. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. They, they, that's why a lot of teams have almost like they call that pitch count on them. You know, they only want to see their backs good, you know, sure. 30 touches in a game and yep. maybe, maybe keep them under 300 for the season or whatever that magic number is for that team. You know, that's why you're seeing a lot of running backs by committee, like you said. Yeah. Running running back by committee is the smart way to go. It drives fantasy football players crazy, but hey, <laughs> in the larger scheme of things, that's small potatoes. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Well, uh, what do you think? Uh, in or out, or do we want to think about him for? Yeah, we got to. I I guess we kind of have to put him in there. I mean, because again, like this is not abnormal. You know, this short window of production is not abnormal. Right. I right. don't. I'm not suggesting it had to be this way. I mean, Morris could have gone eight, nine years if uh, they had spread the ball around in Washington a bit more, but it didn't. And so for three years, he was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know. So I, I think that that that's enough, right? I mean, two two All Pros. I mean, we we we, we put in players for that. Yeah, I I think he definitely earned the spot, and uh, I have no problem at all having him on there. Yeah, uh, go for it. Now, so okay, so that makes nine. So we still have one name to choose for our top ten, and, <laughs> and this is this is sort sort of where I ran out of steam. Uh, yeah, trying to find uh, 
you know, somebody to put on there. Now we have, uh, you know, name like, uh, you know, Cliff Harris still playing ball, I believe. Decent player has a, you know, defensive back, Uh, but he's only got 16 interceptions to his credit so far. Um, But it's had a Liddell bets. Wow. Yeah. Betts makes I, the list. Yeah, he uh he didn't really have that great of numbers either. He wasn't no. uh, Alfred Morris or Muncie's numbers, you know, not even close to what they were. Um no. Uh it's too it's too bad I don't have more expertise than the long snappers. I can make the case for one of those guys. Yeah, <laughs> I was counting on you for that with your obscure knowledge <laughs> here, you know. You <laughs> know, pull some some great stat out, you know. Uh, you had uh yeah. you know, the most uh, field goal attempts, you know, in a row as a snap long snapper or whatever. You know? <laughs> he snapped the ball over 60 yards, four <laughs> games in a row. <laughs> he, he had 45 rotations on a snap once. You know? um, <laughs> I was expecting okay. something like that out of you, you know? <laughs> well, how about, I guess just by the sheer numbers, I got to push the greatest you know, uh, I guess the greatest tight end who has the name of an accountant, Danny Abramowitz, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, you know, he, okay, so he's playing for the Raiders. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not the Raiders, for the Saints mm-hmm. uh, back in, in their early days, right? So from 67, uh, play converted defensive end you know becomes uh i guess i guess defensive end hard to imagine but uh becomes a wide receiver and uh put in some good numbers you know for three or four years uh as a wide receiver um kicked around a little bit after new orleans to uh oh no i guess he just went to san francisco that was kind of de rigueur in the 70s and 80s in football just finish your career uh, with some other team. It didn't matter how good you were. Uh, if you're old enough, you remember Joe Namath on the Rams and probably OJ Simpson on the 49ers. Uh, <laughs> let's see. There was Tony Dorsett. Tony Dorsett ended with the Broncos. Right. Um, Franco Harris with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I had forgotten that one. Yeah. yeah I, I tried really to forget it, but it was, it was painful to see that. <laughs> Yeah, but the Seahawks were mostly harmless in those days. In fact, totally harmless, realistically. So they they weren't good until the 21st century. <laughs> they were they were no threat. Oh yeah, I forgot all about that. That's, that's a wacky one. So I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess since we're hurting uh, the uh, Abramowitz for the novelty I, of it. No, I yeah, I think well, it's not. He's really not that bad of stats. You know, fifty six hundred no, yards, no. thirty nine touchdowns, yeah. all pro, or forty six his entire career. Yeah, he, I, I I like this stat. In his first year as a wide receiver, he leads the league in receptions. Right? Yeah, I, <laughs> that's it, pretty nice. <laughs> that, that definitely makes him substantial, and that's what we're looking for. And I I think that makes him one of the the top ten. I I, I mean, I sort of missed him, but uh, you bring up a great point. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and plus, Hey, we can have a wide receiver on the 4016 too. Yeah. God, we almost built an entire football team with the number 46 is, <laughs> you know, we have even long snappers, you know, 
<laughs> well, we, we got a lot of our offense. I, I don't think it'll be a cold day in hell before a quarterback was 46, even in the CFL. Well, I don't think that's going to happen. But. Well, they might now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could just see it now. Yeah, some some quarterback who's all-time hero was uh, Lou Groza. <laughs> yeah. He was named for Lou Tom, Groza. Right? You know, Tom Brady's son, we're number 46 you know, 15 years from now. and <laughs> Freak him. <laughs> I don't even know if Tom he has Brady a son, the but... fourth. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Well, Playing for the Portland, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. We here. Let's just re- run down through our our top ten here. We picked. Okay, so we have Lou Groza, our hall, only Hall of Famer. Uh, Tim McDonald, Russ Letlow, Herm Edwards, uh, Doug Plank, Pete Johnson. Danny Abramowitz, uh, I think I said his name right. hope I did it justice. Uh, Todd Christensen, uh, Chuck Muncie, and Alfred Morris. Those are our 10 that we chose. Top number 46 is in NFL history. Oh, whew, that, was, that was exhausting, that is, but we did it. That is, the, that is some interesting offense there. You can, yeah, we, make a, you can make an interesting, like, 70s, 80s style offense. Yeah, we got a lot of linemen. We got a kicker, or, you know. Yeah, tight end, you got a wide receiver, you got a fullback, defensive back, back, safeties, you know, yeah, a little bit of everything. <laughs> nice. Wow, 46. Yeah. A, very, be- uh, a very disparate number, a very uh, uh, ex- inclusive number. I, I think that might be the most well rounded, well represented yeah. position by position number that uh, covered so far. You know, we're almost Even halfway some through. Of the low ones? Even some of the low ones? Yeah, know, well, like, I guess you could go like number one. You know, there was a lot of players yeah. in the early 20s and stuff. They they all wanted to wear number one and they switched yeah. around. But th- this is pretty diverse, diverse group here. Yeah. You know, even yeah. And you yeah. got guys like, from every era. I like 46. I thought this was going to be challenging, but, uh, but I think it bad. was. <laughs> not, not bad. Not yeah, bad. we had to dig a little bit, but uh, hey, I, I learned something new. I, I think you learned something new and hopefully the listeners did. And that's what it's all about. You know, bringing paying some homage to these uh, players that you know did some great things, and uh, you know even the long snappers we've got to remember. So that's great. <laughs> long snappers, hashtag long snappers are people too. That, there you go. There you go. Long snapper love. Uh, so, but let's talk about a little bit about uh, you. Have, you're firing up the truly the goats uh, series anytime soon. Anything maybe we could start watching for? Yeah, I'm still averaging once a month, so I got to get at least one out in may however i'm i'm really turning the corner a little bit here and i'm really gonna exploit uh the material a lot more than in the past um so basically what had been um one episode on the two sports stars of irish sports has become a four-part series um including i'll do I'll, I'll, I've divided uh, the two sports into one podcast each, and then I'll also have a two-part interview uh, with an Irish journalist who I spoke oh. to about the games and the culture and whatnot. Nice. Um, so, so that's next. After that, I am optimistic. I, I am, I am hoping to tell the story of Aura Robinson, who. Wait a minute, I better get that right. <laughs> uh, hold on, hold on just a second. I better get that name right. Um, 
please, please remove this bit. Um, <laughs> let's see. Let's uh, hang on just a second. This is very embarrassing. Hang on just a second, dude. Oh no. Okay, I remember. I remember. Okay. Uh, yes, I'd also. I'm also trying to put together an episode on Ora May Washington, who is probably the most obscure professional uh, basketball Hall of Famer. Ah, okay. Ever. And she really shouldn't be. Hmm. Uh, sounds good. You bring out some of those uh, forgotten heroes, you know. Uh, do You do it very well, you know, just like our other partner, uh, Warren Rogan does, but you yes. make us remember some of these, these folks that, uh, you know, be sometimes even thousands of years before we were alive, uh, you bring to pay some homage to them, but especially those are the great ones when you're bringing these uh, 20th century figures into light uh, and they're really, you know, been forgotten and maybe unknown to the modern uh, sports fan. Yeah. It's That's just, just it's thing. just wild how I really um, I've, I've had my finger on this pulse since the nineties, but uh, okay. For example, it's kind of a dead phenomenon now, but we used to have this thing called classic rock, right? Do you remember mm -hmm. classic rock radio? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it would be interesting to watch through time. And I do this every couple of years. And I just kind of compare notes just to see what's sticking around and what's, what's dropping out, you know, like, like, because they're never going to play the whole Rolling Stones catalog like they used to, right? They're only going to play the songs that, we as a whole, as a culture, remember or like the best, right? And it's always interesting to see what drops at, or it's interesting to see what people forget. And in sports history, it's absolutely shocking what people forget, even in our own, especially in our own culture. And some of this I attribute to that, you know, obsession with giving everything the superlative greatest of all time. Some of that is that. Some of that is the internet culture. And some of that is 365 day a year sports. Like there is no downtime in football anymore. There is no downtime in baseball anymore. Um, the sport is always producing news. So some of it is that, but some of it is just straight up. We forget history. So, some of us appreciate that because we make podcasts yeah, out of that. Of so, <laughs> Well, yeah, of course. I mean, the geek niche that's listening to this podcast does not know what I'm talking about because they get off on the history stuff. And some of the stuff that I do, I mean, I mean, again, I'm like opening up whole universes with some of this stuff, particularly in the 20th century stuff. I mean, I mean, it's wild how much we've forgotten about American sport. Yeah. So make sure you check out the Oz's podcast, truly the goats. You can find it on sports history network, find it wherever your uh, favorite podcast provider, you know, truly the goats, G O A T S uh, also sports history network showcase, also known as S H N showcase where you, he goes and talks to all the different podcasters on the sports history network and uh, get to learn a little bit about the, the podcaster and uh, their podcast. And we appreciate uh, you doing that Oz. Uh, we do a great job there. So Thanks. Thanks. But it's the guests that it's the guests that make that show, and it's the shows on the Sports History Network that make those guests. Yeah. So now we're uh, have through almost everybody now. So now we got to have uh, Arnie Chapman get some uh, new recruits, and so you have uh, some more episodes to make I, of that. I understand he got one, and 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 I'm trying to get another one. 
trying to get another one. So oh, good, hopefully good. The, the show will not have to go on hiatus. Uh, we recently had to go on a one week hiatus on the showcase because I got the dreaded second COVID shot. The news is I, I got through it and I'm now immunized. So <laughs> that's good. Good deal. California's going to be breaking through soon nice. now. <laughs> oh, yeah, any day now. Just in time for my Lakers to get bounced from the playoffs. Yeah. Well, well, Oz, we appreciate your time coming on here, talking about the 46s on this bonus edition, and uh, hope to have you on again real soon because we still have about 53 more numbers to cover. Oh, yeah. I got my eyes on one of them, that's for sure. I know we got your name down for some more. So thank you very much for joining us, Oz, and uh, we'll look forward to your next episode of Truly the Goats and the uh, SHN Showcase. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. It was just another ordinary day in the offices of the Pittsburgh Guardian newspaper circa 1924. But for Marla Delft, assistant editor, everything was about to change. For she was about to discover the awesome attractiveness of Row 1 brand retro sports paraphernalia items, thanks to Orville Mulligan, sports writer. And there it is. Wow, Orville, that's really the bee's knees. Isn't it just? A poster-sized replica of the actual 1909 World Series program cover. I can see that. But where did you get it? And where'd you get it framed? I ordered it from the Row 1 website, where over 6,000 items of sports memorabilia from the 1880s to the 1990s are available for reproduction in multiple sizes and in several different materials, with over a dozen styles of frame to choose from for prints like this. Well, I'm sure Mr. Delft would love to put up more of these in the office. But I'm equally as sure they're beyond this newspaper's budget. (laughs) Not at all, my dear Marla. See for yourself. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. Oh my, these are good prices. Oh, and look at this stuff. Oklahoma, Nebraska football. College basketball art. Michael Jordan items. And so Retro it was that Marla Delft discovered the spondiferous magic of row one sports memorabilia arts and prints. You can, too, by visiting sportshistorynetwork.com slash row one. That's R-O-W number one today for access to the full row one catalog of gallery prints and gifts like t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, telephone cases, coffee mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Act today for a 15% discount off all prints with coupon code SHN15 and 20% off all other items with coupon code SHN20 at Check out and keep your dial locked to the Sports History Network for the exciting chronicles of the 1920 sports world in 
Orville Mulligan, sports writer, coming soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians. You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.